I'm John Bailey, and on this week's episode of Popcorn Junkie, I'll be reviewing the quote-unquote best video game adaptation ever, Rampage, the latest from Blumhouse Pictures, Blumhouse's Truth or Dare, the um, independently funded animated movie about the World War I uh, war hero and most decorated dog in military history, Sergeant Stubby, an American hero, and I'll be looking at Wes Anderson's two stop-motion animated features. First, Fantastic Mr. Fox, and then his latest one, which opened wide this week, Isle of Dogs. So let's get started. You know there are other ways of dealing with people, right? I do know that, yeah, but that's no fun. George? You okay? Ready to do this, buddy? I'm not sure if this has been bandied about too much. Uh, I know I saw it in one of those College Humor uh, Honest movie posters. So there's that. (laughs) But um, I I gotta say, I mean, you can make an argument for it. As far as, like, this this hasn't been... uh, I wouldn't say it... I mean, the bar is incredibly low in terms of quality for for video game adaptations. But I don't know. I feel like Tomb Raider was better as an adaptation of its source material, but Rampage felt more like Paul W.S. Anderson's Mortal Kombat, something like that, something fun, but but that paid homage to its source material. Maybe kind of like a Street Fighter, uh, the live-action movie with uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme as the American, I think, Marine uh, Guile. Great casting choice there. Oh, God. Um, but yeah, uh, this is actually the second... Uh, funny thing was, um, The Rock actually posted on Twitter about how he was in the best anime, uh, best uh, adaptation of a video game movie and all the other ones are crap. And then the Doom account, the official Doom Twitter account was like, Dwayne, to remind him, yo, dude, my dude. You were in one of these already. <laughs> oh, fun. Fun times. Um, I should say, uh, I never played the original arcade game. I did play um, Rampage World Tour, uh, the the uh, remake they did for the Nintendo 64, and I played the hell out of that. I loved that game. Uh, I never played the sequel either. Uh, I saw um, Super Beer Bros playing that one over the weekend, and it was... I love I love that. It's a fun arcade game. It's it's a send up of old kaiju movies. It's great, and that's pretty much what I wanted out of this. And I will say, the kaiju battles are the reason to go see this movie, the, especially the climactic fight where George um, and Dwayne the Rock Johnson take on Liz and Ralph, the wolf and the crocodile, formerly lizard. I don't know. I, they don't call her Liz in the movie, but I don't know why they couldn't just be like, hey, here's an iguana. I guess because a crocodile seems more menacing and more in line with, hey, we got a wolf and a gorilla, but whatever. I mean, it works for what for the most part. I mean, they don't actually call her Liz, thankfully, because that wouldn't make sense because she's not a lizard anymore. Um, but yeah, other, but unfortunately, the rest of the movie is not good. 
stuff with the humans is really bad. And Dwayne The Rock Johnson is doing his best to pump it full of charisma. But it, it, it ain't good, man. It, it's, it's no good. It's no good. Uh, the writing is just atrocious, especially for the supporting cast. And it's, I feel like Dwayne The Rock Johnson only uplifted his parts by improving. <laughs> because the actual writing is garbage. Um, but the funny thing I heard was uh, apparently the guy who directed, who wrote, and who helped write and direct this. Uh, what's his name? He's the guy who also did San Andreas. So he's, this is his, he's been, you know, this is his second time working with The Rock. Brad Payton. And he also did the Netflix, he also produced, oh, apparently he also directed The Rock on Journey to the Mysterious Island. And he's also a producer on the Netflix series Frontier. But, um, yeah, oh god, he's also known for Cats and Dogs, The Revenge of Kitty Galore. So there's that. But he went on the record as saying, I had no interest in making making the monsters people. Like, I'd make the one point in the game is that this is like a Jekyll Hyde Hulk situation where the people turn into the monsters. And apparently Brad Payton thought that's stupid. So let's just, so he made this instead. And I have to say, how is adding in that Jekyll Hyde element from the video game any any more stupid than what you put on the screen? You directed San Andreas and the sequel to Cats and Dogs, you hack. Get over yourself. Um, but, yeah, uh, it's, it's, but it's even, even, even... With that in mind, he does throw in a bunch of... Like, there's a freaking Rampage arcade machine... Arcade cabinet in the villain's office for no reason. Just because, hey, you're in a Rampage movie. Did you know this was a video game? Here's the video game for you in case you forgot. Uh, so, I mean, he's able to put in, like, the reference that Negan... Uh, Jeffrey D. Morgan throws out that the internet's been calling the wolf Ralph. So, I mean, they're, they're, he's willing to throw in references to the game, but he doesn't want to adapt one of the main aspects of... Well, not even the main aspect, but one of the aspects of the game. It's basically like saying, hey, I want to make Doom, but I don't want to set it on Mars. Well, I mean, why not? That's part of the game. Yeah, but that seems really stupid, so I'm just going to set it on Earth instead. That seems really... That seems really unnecessary, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, hey, Dwayne Johnson's good. He's, you know, he's charismatic as hell. The creature effects are pretty decent for the most part. Um, and Jeffrey Dean Morgan is also good, even though he's basically kind of phoning it in, pulling him, you know, he's like, eh, I'm, I'm, all, I'm pretty done with Negan already, so I'm just gonna, eh, coast my way through this. Who cares? Uh, but Naomi Harris, who most people would recognize as Money Penny in the uh, current bo- current iteration of Bond, she's completely wasted as the somewhat love interest to Dwayne the Rock Johnson and former scientist with the with the bad with the bad company, whose plan makes absolutely no damn sense. Their plan is 
absolutely ludicrous, which is why I'm wondering why making... So, your stupid plan for the villains is somehow better than making Dwayne The Rock Johnson turn into a gorilla. Like, you could do motion capture with Dwayne The Rock Johnson as a gorilla. Like, how, 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 come on! The possibilities there, my dude! But then this is also the guy who made Cats and Dogs The Revenge of Kitty Galore. So, say, you know, take that as you will. And Journey to the Mysterious Island. So, you know, take, take his criticisms of what's stupid with a grain of salt. Uh, but speaking of the villains, the one dude, uh, what's his name? Uh, Joey something, what, what's the guy's name? The brother, uh, Jake Lacey. Uh, there's a Joe, Joe Mangiello's in here. He's also pretty wasted in his performance. Um, apparently this guy was also in Miss Sloan, but I don't remember him. Uh, never saw Carol. Uh... Didn't see the Jenny Slate indie comedy, Obvious Child. So I don't recognize this guy at all. Apparently he's on Girls, as well as in a recurring role. He's a Pete Miller on The Office. Uh, but he is the bro- he is a non-entity in this movie. And Malin Ackerman, uh, Silk Spectre herself, is a drain on this movie. She... I don't know if she was attempting to give a performance, but nah, nah, she, but between the terrible writing for the villains and her in, in inability to give a performance, the villains in this movie are complete trash. Jeffrey Dean Morgan would have made a better villain than Malin Ackerman. She's supposed to be like this evil, like almost Captain Planet-esque corporate villain, and you don't get that from her because she's incapable of giving a good performance in literally anything. Like, what was the other thing? She was in like that um, that stupid uh, Vince Vaughn uh, movie. Uh, what was it? Something. Ah, oh, what was it? Where is it? Uh, maybe that wasn't her. Maybe I'm think. I guess I'm thinking of something else. Um, Twenty-seven dresses. Happy, thank you, more, please. Whatever that is. Final girls. Children's hospital. Not sure she's good there. Um, Wanderlust. Rock. Oh God, she was in Rock of Ages, and she's such a non-entity in that. I couldn't remember. Uh, I couldn't remember if, uh, who she was. Couples Retreat, that's what it was. Where I think she was Vince Vaughn's wife or something. Uh, the Heartbreak Kid remake that Ben Stiller did. I don't get this girl's appeal. Like, she's pretty, I guess. Uh, but at the same time, she, like, is incapable of giving any kind of good performance. Because I've never seen a good performance from this from this actress... And this movie is no exception. So, uh, whatever, I guess. Um, yeah, overall, this is a sci-fi-grade B-movie with a blockbuster budget. And, that you know, with all that that description entails. So, if, that, if, that, if, if you're a fan of the sci-fi movies, the Asylum Pictures, 
This is that, but with a bigger budget. I mean, this is the guy who directed San Andreas, of all things. So, yeah, that's that's the kind of movie you're getting. So, if you're willing, it's fun for the most part. When it's not dealing with the human characters, it's it's actually pretty decent. So, take that as you will. Break Olivia's hand. You have to do it. Look as pissed as I am at you right now. There's no way I'm going to break your hand. Well, you don't really have a choice. God, just do it. This game is too smart. Half the people in this photo are now dead. We need to find what started all this. How do we get out of this game alive? You can't. It only ends when all the players are dead. And your turn's next. Dare me to choose which one of you to kill. No! Truth or dare. Oh, this movie. Oh, boy, this movie. Yeah, I was looking forward to this one. Blumhouse's Truth or Dare. Where a demon literally possesses a game of Truth or Dare. That is, in fact, the premise of this movie. A demon was summoned... Did not possess an object. Did not possess a person. Apparently, according to this movie, demons can possess ideas. That is a very arcane notion of demons. The The fact that they can possess ideas. That's like some old school Catholic church nonsense. Uh... But yeah, I'll get into spoilers for this because I do not care about spoiling this movie. If you, I'll give you uh, a chance to avoid spoilers if you want to go into this blind. But needless to say, this movie is utter and complete trash from the from the onset, from the idea. I think this was born out of a joke that one of the Blum that the that the director made to Jason Blum, and they turned it that. It's like how. Tusk became a movie. Kevin Smith farted around with his podcast host, and they managed to make a movie out of that. Um, so yeah, this is from the director of Cry Wolf, Cry Underscore Wolf, Never Back Down, and Kick Ass Two. So that's the pedigree you've got going into this movie, and yeah, it's it, it, you, basically my nephew pointed this out when I took him to it. Everything in the trailer basically gives away what happens in the movie. Everything that happens in the movie is given away by the trailer for it. They do not care. I mean, aside from the really stupid twist that I'm going to spoil, everything you need to know is given away in the trailer. In fact, most of the best scenes are in the trailer. So yeah, watch the trailer on repeat for 90 minutes and you've got this movie. Like you've got the gist of this movie. Cuz you don't need to pay 10 bucks a head to see this to this I was going to say tripe or I was trying to say crap but it turned into tripe. So cripe. Cripe. <laughs> so yeah, um doesn't help that the actors are all TV actors like what the main love interest dude is from Teen Wolf. The uh the uh, blonde chick is Jesse Quick from The Flash, and who is the who is the uh, 
brunette, the main chick, um, Lucy Hale. She's apparently in Scream 4. She looks like Bargain Basement Mila Kunis. Like, you know those, you know how, um... Walmart would ha- Walmart and Walgreens will have their own brand of stuff to make it cheaper for people to buy the same product. She's that, but for Mila Kunis. Uh, apparently, she was Arya Montgomery on Pretty Little Liars. Wait, was she the main in that failed Bionic Woman reboot? Hold on. No, she was the sister. Okay, someone else was the main chick uh, that failed Bionic Woman reboot they tried to do. Uh, But yeah, so this is a girl from Pretty Little Liars and uh, and Jesse Quick from from uh, the Flash and uh, that DC the TV DC TV universe, however they refer to it, and a dude from uh, MTV's Teen Wolf. Apparently, also Gary Anthony Williams plays the demon, but I, you, you could not, I could not recognize him in the slightest. I don't know why you get him. You could have had the producer. They, they, um, Gary Anthony Williams. For those who don't know, played uh, Bebop in the Michael Bay sequel, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. Um, and he's also I know him mainly from the uh, uh, blue collar comedy tour TV show they did but he's been uh apparently he's also on doc mcstuffins and um does a bunch of voiceover work and uh he's been on curb your enthusiasm he's a big dude uh black actor he's the voice of mufasa in the lion guard apparently and he's been on he's been a bunch of voices on american dad so he's made oh my god he's in a movie coming up that's filming right now called white racist zombies and i need it in my life i need that in my life uh he was also uh he was also in harold and kumar go to white castle so i mean this guy's he's he's a he's mainly a voice actor now but he's also been on uh whose line is it anyway and he's a he's a Pretty decent improv actor. He did a good bebop, I'll say. He's he's a, you know, he was a he was he was solid casting for that. But uh, yeah, he plays the demon, but not that you would recognize him. They filter his voice out so much that you might as well have gotten the director himself to be the demon. Like, why did you need to pay Gary Anthony Williams to be the demon? Um, so yeah, you've got mainly TV actors in this cast. And I will, and it's absolutely riddled with all of the horror movie cliches. And me, I mean, but the thing is, before going to spoilers, um, I will say this does veer right into so bad it's good territory. I could, I would put this on my least favorite of the year list. But it's ending up an honorable mention because it needs to be mentioned that it is terrible. But I had a blast laughing at just how bad and stupid the whole thing is. So as a comedy, it's fantastic. It's a great midnight movie for you and your friends to drink and laugh at. As a horror movie, it's utter garbage. It is honestly even worse than the Paranormal Activity movies that Blumhouse made. So... Yeah, it's 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 really bad. So overall, 
this was never going to be a good horror movie, but so inept and ludicrous that it circles back around into being a hilarious experience. So, if you want a good comedy, wait for this on Redbox or Netflix, because you don't need to go out to theaters to see this, unless it's one of those theaters that allows you to drink, so you can get get slammed and have a good time at, like, a midnight movie. Uh, but with that being said... Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! I haven't done one of these in a while, uh, so if you um, if you don't want any spoilers, skip ahead until you start hearing trailer me- until you start hearing the trailer for uh, Sergeant Stubby. Uh, otherwise, here's here we go. I need I need to get into this and just how bad and stupid this is. The demon was summoned by Mexican witchcraft. I kid you not. They play the game in an abandoned. Uh, uh, Mexican, uh, uh, what is it called? Uh, what are the, uh, uh, I'm Catholic. I should know these. Um, 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 not, not just a ministry, but like a, um, uh, it was kind of like an, a, a nunnery almost. It was, a, it was, um, what, what was it called when they, um, Hold on. I I can't even remember. What what it's called? Uh Mission. I I don't know how this the freaking Robert De Niro movie that I like. Um The Mission. Yeah, so they played an abandoned mission in Mexico. And the gang gets possessed by a demon that was summoned there by nuns in the 60s, I guess, who used to play hide-and-seek. And their priest was abusing them, was sexually abusing them. And so one of them literally summoned a demon through Mexican witchcraft. And they had to seal it up through through a spell in order to say in order to keep in order to undo what they did. And then bunch of white people, white people, bunch of dumbass Americans came down, unleashed the demon, who then possessed their game of truth or dare. And the plan is, once they uncover this, to perform the ritual again and reseal the demon. This veers so far into into insanity that it it almost I almost want to call it out on just being offensive because like. The idea that, oh, this Mexican nun used witchcraft and, like, oh, God, what's the... I feel like there's a term. I feel like there's a... Because I know there's a practice. It's not specifically voodoo. I know that's more uh, Caribbean and... uh, Caribbean-based, and that's more to do with um, New Orleans. But um, there's, like, a term for the kind of witchcraft that it's referencing. Um, 
what is it called? Uh, I think this is it. Bruje Brujeria. Brujeria. B-R-U-J-E-R-I-A. Uh, does not mention it specifically in uh, in this movie, although apparently it was in the, one of the Paranormal Activity movies. Uh, so that so so there's that. So this is their first time with with D- Blumhouse has tackled this. But um, Azalea Banks uh, practices this. Um, so yeah, I think it's Brujeria. I think that's the implication, but they never specifically say. It was this, but it, it feels the way they describe it. It feels definitely in that vein, but uh, it's it, it it really is just. It, I mean, honestly, I'm genuinely curious how um, Mexican and Hispanic people will view this twist because, damn, if I wasn't just like, oh come on, are we doing this? Are we really doing this? The demon was summoned by a Mexican nun practicing brujeria. I guess we're doing this. I guess we're really doing this. And of course, the white people have to perform this same ritual. And miraculously, this nun, who has lived in Mexico her whole life, completely understands and is able to write in English. So I don't know how much... um, and they never really go into like her backstory as much. It's just like, oh, it's okay. Like it would be, it would be better, honestly, if the granddaughter had to translate because that would actually make more sense. But, but this movie is stupid and all, and borderline offensive. I'm not gonna call it offensive. I would much rather have the party. The party that's being referenced, you know, Mexican culture and Hispanic and Hispanic culture, be the be the ones to say whether or not it's actually offensive. But it's damn near close. I'll say that. So, th- so you've got that to look forward to in this movie. Maybe that's soldier on it. So, let's move on. Get down! I wish I had half his courage. Courage. It's not courage. I think this war has just improved. Thank you, Stubby. You could all learn something from him. Mm. You are our hero, Stubby. Mm. I feel somewhat out of the loop. Uh, or I did when I... um. Saw the uh, saw the name for this uh, studio behind this Fun Academy Motion Pictures, which sounds like entertainment ent- uh, entertainment studio motion pictures. But is that what it's called? What's the damn one called? Uh, I think it's Entertainment Pictures. Entertainment Studios Motion Pictures. That the one that just did uh, Chappaquiddick and the Hurricane Heist, and are also oh my god they also did Forty Seven Meters Down, and Friend Request, and yet they also did Hostel. So they're just all over the place. Um, I have no idea. Uh, uh, but thankfully, 
It turns out these guys are relatively new. They're based out of Georgia, and they're just a CGI uh, animation house. This is their first motion picture, and you know what? For a first-time outing, I'll give them a pass. This is, I mean, for one, this is based on a true story, for those who don't know. In World War I, uh, a unit in Minnesota was training to go overseas, and they adopted a Boston Terrier as their sort of troop mascot or their platoon mascot. And inadvertently, that Boston Terrier became a war hero, essentially. Uh, the actual Sergeant Stubby... Let me pull up the actual Sergeant Stubby. I mean, he was granted the uh, the uh, official rank of... of Sergeant as, as part of the uh, 102nd Infantry Regiment. Uh... Saved the regiment from surprise mustard gas attacks, found and comforted the wounded, and once caught a German soldier by the seat of his pants, holding him there until the American soldiers found him. So, I mean, this guy, this dog, was, managed to, um... Okay, so, Stubby was described in contemporaneous news items as a bull terrier, Boston terrier, uncertain breed... Stubby was found wandering the grounds of the Yale University campus in New Haven, Connecticut, while members of the 102nd Infantry were training. Dog hung around as the men drilled in one soldier, Corporate Robert Conroy, who is played by Logan Lerman in this and is the main sort of human character, uh, developed a fondness for him. When it came time for the outfit to ship out, Conroy hid Stubby on board the troop ship. As they were getting the ship in France, he hid Stubby under his overcoat without detection. Upon discovery of Conroy's commanding officer, Stubby saluted him as he'd been trained to in camp, and the commanding officer allowed the dog to stay on board. It, 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 the, it's a cute thing that they include um, in the movie. The actual thing that he could actually stick his paw up and salute. Uh, so yeah, he would chase out rats. He improved morale. He... Um, During a, okay, they did show this. He uh, actually was injured in battle uh, by by a hand grenade, and managed to and 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 wound up with two wound stripes. Uh, they designed a gas mask specifically for him. Warned his unit of poison gas attacks. Located wounded soldiers in no man's land. And he could, he could hear incoming artillery fire, so he became like a a, a sort of like war, early warning system. But yeah, this whole this whole I mean, this dog's story definitely deserves to be told. I mean, it's 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 amazing. It really is amazing. And um, I'll give the movie this. Whereas Valiant tried to make a Talking Animals movie, something like a Balto out of the homing pigeons in uh, World War II, this movie makes the conscious decision not to make Stubby speak or even have an inner dialogue, you know, or inner monologue, I guess. He is a dog. He is just a dog, and the only people talking are humans. So I'll give them that. They didn't go the route of a Balto where it's like, Hey, I'm Sergeant Stubby. Here's my actual talking voice, kids. This is my true life story. So, yeah. Um, 
I will say, though, that it's not perfect. The uh, actor playing the drill sergeant, I, I, um, I didn't catch his name. Um, I guess Ray Casburn, uh, Jason Ezel, whoever the guy is that plays the drill sergeant for the 102nd Division is not good. Like, he feels like somebody's cousin was given a chance, or one of the animators had to fill in because they couldn't get, like, an Arlie Ermey or a Ving Rhames or a, you know, somebody with a good drill sergeant's voice. This guy is, like, he smokes, like, ten Marlboros a day. He's got that kind of rasp to his voice. He's not very commanding as a drill sergeant, so I don't know why they went with his voice. But, um... Yeah, not not to mention the fact that uh, the dialogue itself is all pretty weak. It almost feels like, despite the fact that this is an American studio, it almost feels like this was translated through Google Translate. That's how the dialogue, a lot of the dialogue feels. So if this studio wants to improve, they need better writers. They need some better uh, screenwriters, and, di- and especially people who know how to do dialogue better. Um... I do like the idea of a platoon adopting strays. I think that's a great... I, I honestly think it's a great idea. I mean, every every platoon has... Every division has a stray dog that they adopt. Maybe multiple stray dogs. And they and they, and they become like a secondary... Uh, and they become like mascots to the army. And they become like a good morale booster. And, you know, when things get tough, they have a dog there to keep... Because, I mean, like, I feel like that's... I feel like that's almost... I mean, other than the fact that you would, be, if you're going into war, you would be putting the dog in danger. Aside from that, that would honestly... I feel like that would be... I, I feel like that's almost stupid not to. Like, why wouldn't you want to have dogs there to boost morale and to, you know, maybe even be helpful? <laughs> like this guy was. So, I mean, maybe they do this for some platoons, but I feel like... I feel like this should be almost like a requirement, almost. You're like, hey, here are some, hey, we'll reduce the stray population by donating them to the army and the navy and the in the marines. And the, you know, here are these divisions that are training, and and they and as part of their training, they they have a dog there, and you can also tell the bad apples by how they treat the dog. You will see, you it's almost like a nice way of like grooming the men. As uh, grooming the men, uh, uh, seeing who is fit for duty. Because if the dog, if the dog don't trust them, then why should you? You know, uh, and if they don't treat the dog right, they can't be expected to treat their fellow men right. You know, I feel like that's a ni- that'd be a nice little uh, little tactic there. I don't know. I'm not a military man. Maybe I'm onto something. Maybe I'm not. But I like that idea. I, you know, I feel like joining the army would seem less intimidating if it had, like, if you basically, like, oh, by the way, here are, we adopt stray dogs. Honestly, why not at this point? The defense budget is so overblown. Why not have par- have provisions in there for stray dog adoption? Like, why not? Um, Gerard Depardieu's character uh, definitely reminded me of Haddock from Tintin. That was all I could think about from the, from the uh, rosy little nose to the facial hair. He he looked like Haddock gained like a hundred pounds. That's how Gerard Depardieu's character looked to me. Um, the animation is pretty decent, but at the same time, 
Nothing gets too off-model. Like, the actual scene of Stubby getting injured from the hand grenade. They say, like, oh my god, Doc, can you look at his injury? And his leg is fine. Like, they couldn't even animate, like, smudges or dirt or some kind of something to make it look like he sustained an an injury. This movie is surprisingly clean, despite it being set during World War One, one of the dirtiest wars in the history of warfare, you know? And I feel like that's... I feel like that lack of detail goes against this movie because it feels too clean. It feels like they didn't put in the extra effort to add those little details to add more realism to what you're seeing. But yeah, overall, it's a good animated family movie, though it never really goes far enough to be great, like a Pixar, or even some of the Warner Brothers or DreamWorks movies. It never really goes beyond direct-to-video quality. And I feel like there's definitely room for improvement. We'll have to see what uh, Fun Academy does next, but uh, I hope this movie does well enough for them to succeed. Otherwise, oh well. Uh, Whoops. We'll find him. Wherever he is, if he's alive, we'll find your dog. It's going to be a fight. I wish somebody spoke his language. Wow. To the north? A long, rickety causeway over a noxious sludge marsh leading to a radioactive landfill polluted by toxic chemical garbage. That's our destination. Great. Got it. Get ready to jump. This will be a quick twofer, because uh, I watched the Fantastic Mr. Fox after seeing this to see how Wes Anderson did stop motion the last time. So, quick rundown of Fantastic Mr. Fox. Uh... Based, obviously based on the Rural Doll book, which I never read. Um, I will say the stop motion in that is pretty stilted. If you, There's not a lot of fluidity between the frames, sadly. And um, that one is pretty much in line with all of Wes Anderson's other movies. That one feels exactly like a Wes Anderson movie. It has all of his tropes from... His usual cast of like Owen Wilson in there, and I think the only really standout, the ones that aren't really his usual go-tos, are Meryl Streep, um, George Clooney, and Michael Gambon. But like Jason Schwartzman's in there, Bill Murray's in there. Uh, I think his brother plays one of the characters. Yeah, it's it. They also they also did this one thing I cannot stand in family movies. If you can't. Say a, a swear word, an obscenity. Do not replace it with a pun or a a a a, 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 dra, a, dra, a dra, find and replace obscenity. They use the word "cuss" in this movie so many times. If they had said the actual word, it would have been an R rating because they keep dropping "cuss" in place of actual obscenities. Um. Romeo and Juliet did this too. I cannot stand this in kids' movies. If you can't swear, don't put in replacement swears. Just don't swear. 
You doing fake swearing doesn't make you edgy. It makes you a hack. Uh, just an issue I always have. Um, also, uh, Jason Schwartzman's character, the son Ash. That kid's an asshole. That kid was an ass. He's he's more like ass because that's what he is. He's a little ass, and he's a jerk through the whole movie for no reason, other than he's probably a teenager and he's just an asshole. And yet, by the end, it's supposed to be like, oh, look, he finally came into his own. No, screw him. He's an asshole. Why should I care that he finally mature? That he finally stopped being an asshole. Good for him. Doesn't undo the fact that the last. 100 minutes has been me having to deal with him being an asshole. In fact, he, in fact, he especially makes me never want to watch this movie again. I cannot stand the son in this movie. He is an asshole. Even George Clooney isn't all that great. I mean, he's basically being George Clooney as a fox. Meryl Streep's the only one really giving a performance that's uh, that's not really recognizable, and that's because she's Meryl Streep. Um... So yeah, overall, this is an animated Wes Anderson movie. So if you're a fan of his his style, go for it. But honestly, I would never. I'm never going to watch this again. I, I would never. I, I would never willingly watch this one again unless there was something. Uh, the only other option was something worse. This really, I do not. This is this felt more in line with Grand Budapest Hotel, which is another Wes Anderson movie that's fully in his style, but which I could not stand. It's so precious and twee and thinks so highly of itself and I could not give any less more less or more I I could I could I I know it's not couldn't care less whatever point is I don't care I don't care so I'm glad I didn't see this beforehand because it would have soured me on this movie which is one of my favorites of the year so far. Not even going to front. This is genuinely one of my favorite movies of the year so far. Uh, Isle of Dogs. Um, right off the bat, this this review is not going to delve into the idea of cultural appropriation too much. Um, I did a, did a long, long talk about cultural appropriation in my letterbox review on it. But if you want to look more into the, you know, the, 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 you know how cult, you know cultural appropriation in filmmaking. I direct you to Lindsay Ellis's "Pocahontas Was a Mistake" and "Here's Why" video. That deals more with indigenous people, but you can apply a lot of the same logic that she brings up in that to this movie in dealing with Japanese culture. So, yeah, um, I will say it's definitely in the same boat as Kubo and the Two Strings, where it's these Western animation houses telling a story. Uh, rooted in Japanese culture. But at the same time, I love Kubo and the Two Strings as well. So, I mean, I feel like... I never feel feel like it's demeaning or, like, it, it, it looks down on Japanese culture. It's like, oh, it's not treated as some exotic... It's like, this exoticism about it. It's more like, here's a story. It's a tribute to Japanese filmmakers and Japanese... and. And set and set in Japanese culture, and for the most part, yeah. I mean, aside from the dogs, which are v- written very Wes Anderson e, most of the stuff is fairly, fairly, fairly true to Japanese, uh, you know, Japanese ideas, Japanese uh, culture, and it's never, never treated as like like the, the people are speaking actual Japanese. There's a Japanese voice cast, 
and it's really good. Um, so yeah, I, ne- I never felt the... I feel like Kubo and the Two Strings feels more guilty of the cultural appropriation than this movie does. But like I said, if you want more, if you want a more in-depth uh, look into that aspect of filmmaking, the Lindsay Ellis video is the way to go. Um, it's a great voice cast. The animation is leaps and bounds better than Fantastic Mr. Fox. It's smoother. It's it's still got that sort of uh, rigidity to it that stop motion does, but at the same time, it, it it feels even better than Fantastic Mr. Fox. Fantastic Mr. Fox was very stilted, like they were, they were somebody's first stop motion animated feature. Here, it feels more fluid and it feels more. It feels more like some like a like a genuinely animated film, whereas Fantastic Mr. Fox felt like very robotic. Uh, and this is, although this is the same cinematographer behind um, Fantastic Mr. Fox, Tristan Oliver, who is a longtime stop motion uh, director of photography. Uh, he's worked with Ardman, Leica. He he also did Kubo and the Two Strings, I believe. What? No, I think it was the Box Trolls. Let me see. Let me pull them up. Um, Tristan Oliver. Dude can't even get his own IMD, his own Wikipedia page. Weak. Weak. All right, try this again. Go to the IMDb. Um, full cast and crew. We want director of photography. There we go. Uh, Paranorman is what he did for Leica, and he did Curse of the Were-Rabbit for Ardman. He also just did, uh, one of the nominations for this, this year's uh, Academy Award for Best Animated Motion Picture, Loving Vincent. So this dude is, is, he also did the photography on Chicken Run, cinematography on Chicken Run. So, I mean, this guy is a good cinematographer. I don't know what it was with Fantastic Mr. Fox that didn't work for me. Because this guy is really good for the most part at shooting. Um, maybe it was the animate. Maybe it was the animators that weren't that weren't used to doing that, or maybe Wes Anderson wasn't sure how to direct uh, stop motion the first time around. But this time around, it's really good. It is even. It is even better, and it, uh, it's genuinely enjoyable. Uh, they also do some decent world building. Uh, they do a fictional city. Uh, it's essentially Tokyo, but without um, without saying specifically it's Tokyo. But it's also very reminiscent of other Japanese major cities, Kyoto. Um, uh, it's ma- it's named Megasaki, which I don't know if that would be a, a technical name. It feels like a Westerner's name for a Japanese uh, metropolis. You know, I feel like you, they should. I mean, I get the idea that it's supposedly like if Nagasaki exploded into a giant metropolis. But yeah, naming aside, it's it's definitely. Some decent world building. The idea that uh, in the near future, do- um, dogs uh, will con- will uh, it will um, contract a form of the flu that a dog hating uh, cl- clan of of a, of a Japanese dynasty of an ancient Japanese dynasty that favored cats over dogs would use to his advantage. And there's a great conspiracy going in, going throughout this movie about the, about where the dog flu even came from, 
And, uh, yeah, I mean, like, even the dogs themselves. Like, the whole thing with the dogs is, you would think, like, there's a there's that bit in the trailer where it's like, I wish someone spoke his language. But at the same time, that the that's that quote is out of context. Because uh, what what's going on is, doesn't matter what the kid is speaking, they are dogs. Because he, he then says, sit, or sito, and it's like, oh, I understood that. And it's more like, they kind of toy with the idea of whether or not the dogs can fully understand the humans. I think it's more along the lines of, I have no idea what you're saying, but you're talking to me, sort of thing. So I, I get that vibe from it. Uh, I will say Greta Gerwig's character, number one, is very underwritten, uh, as is Scarlett Johansson's. Both the female characters in this movie... Well, both the prominent female characters. There's a supporting female character. Um, poor Angelica Houston gets gets quote, gets cast as a mute dog. So I basically, I basically she was just told to come in and make whining noises, I think. Um, who, who are the other one? Uh, Scarlett Johansson. Frances McDormand it plays the interpreter. She's kind of the most prominent female um, uh, voice in this uh, movie. Because Scarlett Johansson's barely in it as the sort of love interest to Brian Cranston's character. And then Greta Gerwig is kind of the secondary human character after um, Atari, uh, the main kid. And she's she's alright. Although she's not perfect either. Some people are claiming that she is part of the cultural appropriation that she's like a that she's fetishizing Japanese culture. I never got that. I got the idea that she wanted to become that she want, that she wanted to come over to Japan and study as a foreign exchange student and that she's also very passionate about her politics and that cuz like she's a very avid supporter of the science party candidate who uh, who becomes a target by the mayor uh, Kobayashi and and she's she's the one kind of leading the charge in uncovering the conspiracy, and like the whole thing of darn it, I've got a crush on you. When in the movie, it's actually damn it. Um, I don't know why they felt the need to censor that. We yeah, that's weird for the trailer. Um, but yeah, for the most part, her character it never like she develops a crush for Atari. But at the same time, it's never, it's never a fetishization. It's like, if this was about fetishizing Japanese culture and people, wouldn't she be, like, attracted to every guy around her? Because she acts normal around everyone else. It's just Atari. And I got the idea that, more so, it's that she is fascinated by his drive and his, and his conviction. And that's what attracts her to Atari, more so than, it, than the fact that he's Japanese. Like, she never delves into full-on weeabooism. Uh, weeaboos, uh, for those who aren't familiar with internet culture, are the Westerners who fully embrace uh, Japanese culture and will try to integrate Japanese culture into their daily lives. So much so that they will even throw in random Japanese phrases. Every culture has something like this. You know, India will... F- some, some cult- I think American... Stuff in, Amer- stuff in America will... We make its way over to Japan, and, and some 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 subcult. There will be some subcultures that try to integrate that. So it's not unusual, 
it's very common in sociological terms as the as more go, as more global as as cultures get more access to other cultures, they'll start to try and appropriate some stuff from it. But I never got the feeling like she's speaking English for the most part. She never delves into full on Japanese, so I always get the feeling that um, that she that she's not there. She, that she's there because she likes Japan. But at the same time, it's never. I never got the feeling that she was a full on like weeaboo fetishizing Jap- Japanese culture in in one way or another. It's more like here's this foreign exchange student. Um, I don't know why they went with a foreign exchange student instead of a, an actual Japanese student. I feel like that's a missed opportunity to have a have someone play just have it be a Japanese girl instead of a American foreign exchange student. But you know that's that's neither here nor there. Uh, I do I do like that they made they didn't make Greta Gerwig play a Japanese character. Most of the Japanese characters I don't think Francis McDormand's interpreter is Japanese. They don't specifically say whether or not, but most of the Japanese characters are played by Japanese voice actors. Even Yoko Ono plays a character named Yoko Ono, <laughs> but um, which actually gives a decent performance for the most part, and the. The dogs are voiced by Western actors, Hollywood actors, and then the American foreign exchange student is voiced by an American woman. So, I don't think... It, it doesn't go into the the problem that Kubo had, where you have these Japanese characters being voiced by American actors. Uh, Western actors, white actors, specifically. And... I feel like that's, an, that's a nice improvement over Kubo. I feel like it has that over Kubo. But at the same time... You know, I, I get, I get the, the the criticisms are still valid. I know I said I wasn't going to get into the cultural appropriation thing, but it, it's I'm trying not to go too deep into it. I'm just trying to say those criticisms are valid, but I still think that they did their best for the most part to avoid a lot of the issues. Ideally, you wouldn't have had any American human characters aside from maybe an interpreter, but. Otherwise, you know, otherwise, but I, having that having that character doesn't ruin the movie for me. Although she does is kind of the weakest point in the, of the movie. She is not my favorite character in the movie. If anything, the dogs are. I love Brian Cranston. His chief is great. He has a great character arc. Um, the the cast of regulars uh, that uh, that are his that are his pack essentially: Gold, Jeff Goldblum, Bill Murray. Bob Balaban, Edward Norton, they're all great. Um, you have Harvey Keitel in here as one of the dogs. Uh, F. Murray Abraham is like this uh, is like this great wise dog. Tilda Swinton is in here as a as a dog that can see the future with a great bit behind her. Uh, Leah Schreiber uh, plays the character plays one of the characters in this, and then Courtney B. Vance is the. Uh, narrator for the most part the the voice you hear an epidemic of dog flu uh has rampaged the city of megasaki that's courtney b vance doing the narration so it's all good it's it's all really Fisher stevens is even in this and ken watanabe has a minor role so i mean roman coppola what do we think it is Cousin of Jason Schwartzman, Francis Ford Coppola's then eight-year-old son. Okay, so he's the direct son of Francis Ford Coppola. 
That's interesting that Wes Anderson became uh, became uh, it, it became uh, connected with the uh, with the Coppolas like that. That he's able to get like, hey, here, hey, you're, hey, how about you guys come have parts in my movie? That's 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 interesting. Wes Anderson's a guy I feel like I would like the person more than I like his movies overall. But this is definitely the best I've seen from him in a long time. I need to go. I need to go through the rest of his uh, filmography. I haven't seen Moonrise Kingdom. I didn't see the Darjeeling Limited. Uh, it's been forever since I saw Royal Tenenbaums. But yeah, it's it's a. Uh, I, I, but I'm I'm willing to argue that Isle of Dogs is. Wes Anderson's probably best movie. Um, say so yeah, overall, I know dogs will always be linked to the cultural appropriation debate. That's inevitable. But I feel like Wes Anderson does enough that, like Kubo the Two Strings, Kubo and the Two Strings, uh, it tells a good story that pays reverence to the culture it's depicting, and not try to demean it. It's like we want to tell a story about these people and. As much as you can make the argument, why does it have to be said in Japan? Well, why not? You know, I mean, yeah, he could have said it in China, could have said it in Korea, could have said it in India. He chose Japan because he was inspired by Akira Kurosawa. So, why not? Why not make a little tribute to old Japanese cinema and uh, that style of filmmaking? I almost feel like that's why this movie works for me, because it's not... It's, it's, it's Wes Anderson's least Wes Anderson movie. So, it's the least... Like his usual shtick, which actually makes it better. <laughs> uh, I'll have to go through his filmography. I, I want to do that series at some point where I go through a director's filmography one by one and and list what my favorites and least favorites are. I don't know what you would call that, but uh, uh, we'll take a quick break and be right back. Now, with uh, since uh, since we lost another review, this we'll actually have a discussion this week, and we'll bring back an old segment. Did you know Ash's name in Japan is Satoshi after Pokemon creator Satoshi Tajiri? Did you know Roroni is a neologism created by the original author of the Roroni Kenshin manga? Did you know Godzilla's Japanese name is a portmanteau of gorilla and whale? If you want to learn about these subjects and more, listen to Majide, a Westerner's view of Japanese media and culture, available only on the Gumby Cat Network. And Luva, um, another super mega awesome movie review madness. That's a uh, Borg versus McElroy. Never kept McElroy. Mac, Mac, what is it? Borg versus um, McLean. What is it? It's not McElroy. That's the brothers who do the podcast. Borg versus McEnroe. It was a Mac something. Uh, in lieu of that, I decided to bring back an old segment, which I'd kind of been holding off. Number one, because I was using licensed music for it. <laughs> Uh, but I found a decent uh, royalty-free uh, replacement. So, uh, for the first time in 2018, this is...
The Popcorn Junkie presents The Magnificent Sevens The Top Seven Stop Motion Animated Feature Films Number Seven Yep, in order to legitimize myself as a podcast, I have to find license-free alternatives to my usual stuff. So, like, like I did with stop, like I did stop using um, the older, uh, the, like I did in older episodes, I stopped using licensed music as the break music. Uh, this time around, I removed the fantastic, uh, fantastic, magnificent seven theme from Magnificent Sevens and found a relatively decent uh, alternative. I'll post the link in the actual episode description. But the guy is Ross Bugden, and this was his track, The Wild West. So check him out. He's got a great YouTube channel of amazing tracks, and the links will be in the description. And I'll do this every time uh, I do a Magnificent Seven. So first off, my seventh favorite uh, stop-motion animated uh, feature. There are a lot. I mean, most of the prominent stop-motion animated features are either from other countries or from or from Rankin Bass, <laughs> especially the earlier, especially throughout the '60s up through the '80s. Stop motion was more of a special effect, like Ray Harryhausen used to do, and there really weren't too many. I mean, there were, there had been plenty of stop motion stuff, but a lot of it was uh, foreign cinema. And speaking of which, my first one is a French film. It is technically a stop motion because it's all animated in paper cutouts, and that is. La Planète Sauvage. I think I'm pronouncing that right. La Planète Sauvage. Fantastic planet. I remember watching this, discovering this from the library, because I was fascinated by the cover, which was a giant blue alien holding its hand out to a tiny person. And it's a it's a crazy story. I think I want to cover... I think I have to look into that book at some point that it's based on, because it's based on a book. Hold on. I think it's the same, a similar uh, name. Let me pull it up. Uh, based on a novel, Holmes on Seri. Holmes uh, linked together, uh, which is basically the the title is a is a pun on the French word Holmes, which is their term for men. That's what they call the people in that. And um, it's a crazy movie. It's it's a wi- it's a wild ride if you haven't seen it. Um, basically, what ha- basically it's a science uh, science fiction story where humans have been abducted and kept on this alien planet called Igam, and the larger aliens, the Drogs. Keep them at treat them as livestock animals. So sometimes they'll be as pets. Other times they'll be other other times if they're in the wild they'll be hunted. It's it's a it's a commentary on that sort of thing. And then it's about the main human uh, Tear, uh, yeah Tear, who gains knowledge of the draw of the drugs way of life and of their uh, and of how they work and gives that to the other ohms and. It's about them, and it's about the Ohm's struggle for um, for for liberty and independence, and you know, freedom from the drugs and codependence, and, and instead of this sort of, it's basically it's basically like Planet of the. It's a similar vein to Planet of the Apes, 
where it, or rather the the prologue, the pre, the prequels to the Planet of the Apes, where the apes sought to gain their liberation from the humans. Here, the humans are the animals being kept, and it's about them finding their liber, fighting for their liberation from the drugs, which are these skyscraper-sized blue aliens. And of course, because it is French, uh, the women walk. The, the design of the women is basically looks like they have uh, a tank top with the breasts cut out. It's it's crazy. Um, I but I highly recommend it. I enjoyed this. The English dub is pretty decent. Uh, the biggest name in it though is Barry Bostwick, uh, who is uh, from Rocky Horror Picture Show as um, Brad Majors. Uh, but it's I enjoyed it. I had a good time with it, and um, I, I highly recommend you check it out if you get the chance. Number six. Next up, we get into more familiar territory. It's uh, the classic Nightmare Before Christmas. I mean, yeah, of course this is going to end up on this list. Are you kidding me? <laughs> what do you think I was going to put here? Helen back? Nah, of course Nightmare Before Christmas is good. I love the Danny Elfman score. It's solid. It's, it's a classic. And, yeah, it's a beautifully animated... It's, it's I think, the first Henry Selleck. Was it his first? Besides, like, shorts, I think... Let me see. Let me see his filmography. Another one of his is going to end up uh, in a bit, but... Apparently, he was an actual 2D animator. He worked on Pete's Dragon, the small one... Fox and the Hound, he was an in-betweener. Okay. Did some freelance work, did some storyboard sequences for Return to Oz. Uh, Feature directing debut with with The Nightmare Before Christmas. So yeah. um, He also directed stop-motion sequences in Life Aquatic. Interesting. To bring up uh, Wes Anderson again. But yeah. um, Apparently he joined Pixar recently as well so I hope to see um, apparently he's working on something called The Shadow King a stop motion 3D dark fantasy thriller from the Walt Disney Company deliciously magical tale about nine year old New York orphan Hap who hides his fantastically weird hands with long fingers from a cruel world but when a living shadow girl teaches him to make amazing hand shadows that come to life his hands become incredible weapons in a shadow war against a ravenous monster bent on killing Hap's brother Richard and ultimately destroying New York. Ooh, I like this. Pamela, ooh, Pamela Adlon, Brendan Gleeson, Jeffrey Tambor, Catherine O'Hara. Solid cast in this. I wonder who they're going to get to play the kids. So yeah, that's something to look forward to. He's, in, he's been working on that. Uh, but yeah, um, Nightmare, Nightmare Before Christmas. I mean, it's, it's a great story. Uh, it's a great um first feature debut for Henry Selleck and Tim Burton, one of Tim Burton's classics as a producer. It's, it's a, it's perfectly exemplifies his style, you know, and it, 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 there's a reason it's such a classic, you know, it's great music, good story, very gothic and macabre. And it's, it's just an all around good movie. Yeah. No question. It was going to be on this list. Number five. I didn't realize I was going to talk about him so soon after the first one, but yeah, his his uh his follow up 
after uh, monkey after the flop that was Monkey Bone, Coraline. Uh, I actually prefer Coraline to Nightmare Before Christmas. I never got into the Nightmare Before Christmas like a lot of my friends did. I know that's one of their favorite movies of all time. I like it. I enjoy it. It's a good movie. I did not get into it as much. I I love Coraline though. I loved it as, as soon as you know from the first time I saw it when it came out. Um, it's got great animation. It's got a great sort of Alice in Wonderland style story, and I think it works great. Um, I, I think working with Neil Gaiman was a nice touch. Uh, it's a nice little, uh, like, a nice little way of working, you know, kind of going from Tim Burton to working with Neil Gaiman. That's, you know, it's kind of like a, a sidestep, you know? I don't know, I wouldn't necessarily say it's an improvement one way or the other, but it's definitely, like, in the same wheelhouse. And, I lo- you know, I love the use of buttons and toys. It's a nice touch with the stop motion. And... Uh, it's not my favorite of all time, but I enjoy the hell out of Coraline. Still need to read the book, though. That's another one I'll have to check out. Number four. Number four is um the one I the one that brought up this uh this magnificent sevens. Uh, this week's Isle of Dogs. Yeah. Uh, I never got into Ardman animation. I enjoy it. I think it's good, but it's never been one of my favorites. And uh, I think I'm more into the Leica stuff. Uh, but I also think Isle of Dogs is a phenomenal movie that I will absolutely go back and watch again and again. I almost want to wait until it's on home video so I can break down because it's so visually dense as well that I want to just soak in all of the all of the. Beauty, like that's the part I get with Wes Anderson. His his um his visual style, that stuff I get. He's great visually. It's I, it's his character and storytelling that I never got into. But I feel like Isle of Dogs is the exception to that because it's a it's a really cool sort of post apocalyptic story, almost uh, dystopian future sort of thing. I dig that. It this was right up my alley. So yeah, number four favorite. Uh, Stop motion animated features is a hell of dogs. Number three. Number three. Henry Selleck back on the list again. This time uh, with the third Leica movie on the list, Paranorman. I adore Paranorman. I love this movie so, so much. I love... Once again, the macabre nature of the of the plot and of the, the universe. I love the style of the puppets that they use. It's so interesting. It kind of I I need to see uh, my life as a zucchini, uh, see how that compares because I feel like that's something that'd be it's something similar, but the zucchini one is uh, more more um, more cartoonish. But, uh, yeah, Paranorman. Love the story. Love the message behind it. It genuinely is one of my fa- favorites from Micah. Only to be topped by one other one, which, we'll get, which I'll get into uh, if, you, if you couldn't already guess it. Uh, but uh, we got two more to go, so let's move on to number two. Number two. Number two is one I don't know if many people know about. I discovered it on Netflix. It's a 2009, same year as Coraline, uh, stop motion, claymation animated movie from Australia called Mary and Max. 
And this one especially hits home for me because it deals with an adult on the autism spectrum. He's much more low-functioning than I am, but it tackles... It has a deep, deep understanding of the spectrum and of the disorder. And it's a really touching and beautiful movie. And I'm glad they went with the choice of Claymation to kind of give it this unique aesthetic. Because they could have easily done a live-action movie of it, but, but that's not really compelling as much. I mean, they would just... It almost feel like it gets um, lost in the scuffle of so many live-action movies, especially a drama dealing with uh, someone with a mental disorder. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of those. But here you have a claymation, stop-motion animated movie dealing with somebody on the autism spectrum. And it's, a, and it's also a beautifully touching story of how these two people, these two Australian, a uh, young girl and an adult man, became pen pals. And it's their dual live stories. And I, if you, I think it's still on Netflix, uh, but if not, well, however you can find it, go check out Mary and Max. You won't regret it. It's really that good. And uh, we got one more to go because there's only one sub ocean movie I like more, and it's number one. It's Kubo and the Two Strings. If you've been listening long enough. You could understand. I think I even reviewed it on the podcast. It may have been too early for the podcast, but either way, Kubo and the Two Strings. Kubo and the Two Strings is my favorite stop-motion animated movie ever. I don't think there's going to be... An, I'd have to search the entire catalog of fully, fully animated stop-motion movies to find something as good, if not better, than Kubo and the Two Strings. It's it's got a great deep reverence for for Japanese folklore. And it's a great adventure story. Um, the twist you can kind of see coming from a mile away uh, uh, if you know anything about fantasy stories. But it's still still a genuine and and in continuing with Paranorman, the 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 way to beat the final boss is not what you think. It is not the traditional you know swords out. You know, kill them all mentality. It is. It is. It's more thoughtful than that. It's more clever than that. And I, I absolutely adore. I love the style of it as well. Like I said, the only real issue is there should be more Japanese voice actors involved, and that would be the only way I could see to improve it. That would be it. You know, make it a fully Japanese cast. But for the most part, I, I, I love it. I, I genuinely adore. Kubo and the Two Strings. I it's one of those movies that I could watch over and over again without losing any interest in it. It could become the way Bambi did for me growing up, where it's ingrained into my memory like a brand on a cow. And it's um and I would never lose interest in it. I would never lose any love for it. I just adore. Unless something comes out about the people behind it are like Leica's been doing some shady stuff and and being just off and doing some really unethical practices. I, I There's nothing that can really take away my love for this movie that I can think of. So yeah, Kubo and the Two Strings, my favorite stop-motion animated feature film. I didn't include other stuff. Like, I would have included um, something like the 1988 Czech Alice in Wonderland uh, movie. If I, if I was doing, like, mixed stop motion and live action. 
because that one's that was weird. If you get the chance, find out, find Kyle's um, brows held high about it. It's bananas, and it's frightening and horrifying, but it's beautiful in it as well, and it's right up my alley. But um, yeah, uh, that does it for the discussion. Before we get into trailer talk, I wanted to include a new segment. Uh, a lot of movie reviewers, like I know Double Toasted does this every week, and so in. And, you know, I've kind of been neglecting my duties as a movie reviewer, especially someone who talks about uh, talks about new releases all the time. I need to talk about the box office. I've been neglecting that, and I uh, I should do that. It's part of the industry. It's something I need to do. So let's get into it. This will be the first ever uh, box office report, and I'll come up with a new bumper for it uh, next week. Uh, but for right now. Let's get into the box office report and talk about the new releases, where they ended up, and the current top five. Well, no, let's do top seven. I always, seven's a big thing for me, so let's do the top seven. Um, uh, as for new releases, number one, uh, well, let's do the new releases that aren't in the top seven. So from the top down, number seven, uh, Isle of Dogs jumped up from number 10 to number seven as it opened wide. Uh, overall, it made five million this week. It opened. It made an overall of eighteen million. Uh, no estimate on budget. It's currently made twenty-seven million. So it doesn't look like it will do too well overall, unless there's a big pickup. Because I mean, Avengers is coming. So I mean, it's gonna get buried in a couple of weeks. Um, let's see how much the Fantastic Mr. Fox cost. Fantastic Mr. Fox cost forty million to make, and it just barely made that back. So let's see if it IMDb has Isle of Dogs budget on here. No, it does not. It did not list it. So, but I'm guessing it's probably about the same forty million. I would doubt that it's much more expensive. Uh, than that, I doubt it would be like in the hundred million dollar range. It would probably be at most fifty million. So the fact that it's only made about half that back in its um, run so far is not very good. Uh, sadly, it's um, it's uh, it, I don't know how it, I don't think it does well compared to other Wes Anderson movies. Uh, but maybe he never was that kind of guy to bring in the big. I don't think Wes Anderson. I think Wes Anderson is an indie darling. So I don't think we should worry too much about that. I'm I'm hopeful that more people will discover it on home video, and that's where it'll make its money, uh, because it de- people need, definitely should check it out for themselves. Um, number six, dropping down from number four is Black Panther. It's finally starting to slide down, and I think it'll be finally kicked out by the time Avengers comes out. Well, who knows? Maybe it'd still be in the top seven by the time Avengers comes out. Maybe people will do a double feature. Uh, I, I can't remember the last... I don't know when the last time a Mar- uh, two Marvel movies have been in the theaters at the same time. But yeah, uh, this weekend it made uh, $5 million domestically. Overall, $673 million domestically and over a billion internationally. Number three behind Avatar and uh, Star Wars The Force Awakens. So... Good on you, Black Panther. You've more than guaranteed yourself your own a whole franchise, if not just a sequel. And I and I can't wait for what um, they do for Black Panther two. And I'm super excited for uh, 
for um for the Avengers. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna do something interesting for that week. Uh, I'll 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 let you. I'll I'll, I'll um. I'll get more into that as that comes out. But uh, next up, number five, dropping down from number three last week, is Blockers. Uh, made $10 million this week, $36 million overall domestically, and um, $20 million budget. So it's about, it's about on track to start making a profit. Because for those who don't know, the way profits are measured in Hollywood is basically budget times two for the advertising. So if something costs $100 million to make, generally speaking, it needs three, it needs over $200 million to be profitable to coincide with the amount of advertising that goes into it. Advertising is never included with the production budget. So you do production budget times two to coincide for making a profit. And internationally, they've, they've uh, made that back, so blockers are starting to be financially successful. But it's not... It's not um, breaking any numbers or anything. It's not doing too hot. I, I think, once again, the um, the the idea of the sex comedy is not uh, is not really it's not really doing too, you know, it's not really something people are into unless it's really good. You have to be really good to, uh, want, to want to want to go out of your way to see a sex comedy. Otherwise, you can just wait for it to come out on streaming. Uh, number four is Ready Player One, dropping down from number two. Uh, this weekend, it made $11 million dollars Overall, it's $100 million, $114 million. It's not giving its budget, but I'm guessing it's about that. Internationally, it's $474 million. I doubt it'll make a billion. But um, but that worldwide number definitely makes it, makes it a, uh, a vast improvement. The international uh, box office for this is very helpful to make it profitable because I'm guessing it probably is at least 100 million if not 150. So the international market came in came in to rescue Ready Player 1. Uh, domestically it 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 just what it there just wasn't a, a calling for this, you know. It got what it could. I think 100 million is um respectable. I you know, I just don't think this was I I, I doubt this was uh, Spielberg's best work. Uh that's another director I need to go into to see who, what I think is his best. But yeah, Ready Player One was kind of meh overall. It's interesting to see him get back into uh, into big budget blockbusters again. But eh, you know, I think that he deserved it. He should have done his own story about nostalgia rather than adapting from that book. But that's just me. Uh, number three, a premiere this weekend: Blumhouse's Truth or Dare made nineteen million at the box office. And what did it cost to make? Three point five million. It's already profitable. These things are always profitable because they cost so little to make. They don't hire named actors. They don't have any budget. It's all it's all cheaply to make, and people eat it up. So no matter how many how few people see it, as uh, as long as it's over ten million, they they've made a profit. So yeah, there you go. Number two, a quiet place dropped down from the number one spot. Uh, this weekend it grossed thirty two million. It's an, almost a hundred million dollars uh domestically 151 million internationally overall on a budget of 17 million that is phenomenal that is amazing and i once again i highly recommend it's one of my favorite movies to come out this year and i highly recommend you check it out it's it it is genuinely that good i think and i'm glad to see it do so well because it deserves it 
And the number one movie this weekend was Rampage. Premiered at $34 million domestically. And let's see how it's doing. I'm guessing this is going to be another one. Over $100 million internationally already. So it's got its budget back opening weekend worldwide. It's probably going to make a profit by a little bit. It may make a profit before Avengers. We'll, have to ch- we'll check in next week. But uh, it seems to it seems to it seems to be on the way to break even internationally. Uh, it won't do that domestically, sadly. So, uh, but at the same time, I doubt it. I doubt it was ever going to. I mean, this is not one of those movies that ne- you need to rush out to the theater to see. It's a very niche movie. This is a sci-fi movie. It's just on the big screen. Uh, the other premieres this week: Sergeant Stubby premiered at number fifteen, below. Pacific Rim Uprising in its fourth week. Sergeant Stubby couldn't. Sergeant Stubby did better at Wrinkle in Time in its sixth week, but could not beat Pacific Rim Uprising in its fourth week. I can only imagine did better than Sergeant Stubby. That one's in the top ten. That one's been raking in all kinds of money. How long? How much is? I can only imagine made seven million dollar budget. Domestically, seventy-four million dollars. Not there's not even an international uh, box office for it. So poor Sergeant Stubby couldn't even do that. Uh, One million. It's opening weekend. On an estimated budget, I'd assume since their biggest names are Gerard Depardieu and Helena Bottom Carter, uh, that this had to have cost no more than twenty million. This couldn't have cost more. At, at most, thirty million. So, the fact that it only opened at a million domestically, that's not a good sign for their opening weekend. It had bad advertising, and it it just could not get people to come see their movie. It might do well on DVD and streaming. We'll have to wait and see. But that's a bad opening for your first outing as a, as a, as a studio. Hopefully they can improve. And the other premiere this week in limited release was Beirut, which is the second Rosamund Pike Period piece thriller set in the Middle East about the about about uh, military conflict. Uh, I think it's also about uh, the Palestinian Israeli conflict. I, I think that's what it's about. It's the second one she's been in after uh, Seven Days in Entebbe. Uh, this one is starring John Hamm though, and it deals more with um, what's the what's the What's what's the event that it's that it's adapting? Lebanese. Okay, no, it's uh, not um, the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. This is the Lebanese civil war in 1982. Uh, does not look to be. It looks more like historical fiction, though. It doesn't look like it's an actual um, based on true events. I think it's so. I think it's going for more of a historical fiction, which will probably be to its advantage, because then you can tell, um, then you can different because then it doesn't have to be beholden to the events, to the detail, because it's not talking about real people. It's talking about it's not talking about fully you know actual people. It's dealing with fictional characters within a real setting. Um, so we'll see about that. We'll see when it uh, opens wide. It may wait till after Avengers. I don't know if it's set a uh, wide release date. Maybe this is all it's going to get. Maybe it's only going to be in limited release. Let me check the numbers. Uh, 
But hey, in a limited release, it, it uh, premiered better than one of the wide releases, so, that's, so it's got that. And where's Beirut? Beirut's not showing up on the numbers. Maybe this was its wide release. Let me check Box Office Mojo. Um... No, it's a limited release. It's only 755 theaters. That's less than Sergeant Stubby. So in fewer theaters than Sergeant Stubby, Beirut made more money than it. Well, $300,000 million, $300, more, but still. Still. Um, let me check the numbers. Where's the search? There it is. It's always on the side for some reason. Beirut. International release is the 19th. Limited release on the 11th. Okay. And limited release on the 11th. Yeah, that's this weekend. So it opened uh, on Wednesday, it looked like. Wait, let me go back to the to the schedule. Six? Yep. Limited release on 11th. They also re-released Dunkirk for a, for a limited run. Again, on the 11th. So, in a limited release... Beirut uh, did better than a wide release with uh, Sergeant Stubby. Let's see if Beirut is going to open wide at some point. I am not seeing anything about it. So it looks like it may stick limited and then just go right to video. Which makes sense. I mean, unless it does gangbusters. uh, It's only made $2 million overall, it looks like. And uh, unless it does... uh, Melissa does it's not extended weekend. It's extended weekend release was two million dollars. So unless it does unless it does even better next week, I doubt we're gonna see a wider release than this. Um we'll see if it comes near me. Who knows? But uh yeah, that this has been the popcorn junkie with your box office report. <laughs> and I'm gonna try and make it like a, a news thing. So before we close things out here. Let's di- let's do some trailer talk and take a look at what's coming this 420 weekend. 420 blaze it. <laughs> Unfortunately, only one movie this weekend is going to actually 420 blaze it this 420. Uh, but first up, we've got the latest from uh, Amy Schumer, the uh, sort of subversive rom-com, I Feel Pretty. Uh, so let's check out that trailer. Shopping for a gift. Kind of browsing for me. So sizing is a little limited here in the store, but you could probably find your size online. I have a crazy idea. Let's be honest for a minute. No matter how many times we hear, it's what's on the inside that matters. Women know deep down, it's what's on the outside that the whole world judges. You okay? I'm just like dealing with low self-esteem and like... I want to punch you right in your dumb face right now. Do you have every rib that I have? I've been on all of these sites. No one even looks at the profile. They only care about the picture. And I'm sick of it. I've always wondered... I'm glad to see A.D. Bryant in here. Undeniably pretty. Hit your head pretty hard. And there's the Zameda. That's me. That's me. Oh my god, did you see this? Yes. I'm beautiful! <laughs> oh! 
I know you don't recognize me. That's me. You guys, it's me. Renee. What's happening? Oh, full spin. What can I get you? Yeah, two. Thank you. That's gold. Number 118. What's your number? That's really clever. That's clever. What's your number? Also, Rory Scoville. Yeah, I like the supporting cast. Are you still talking to me? Don't chicken out now, son. What if you could change everything? What are your goals exactly? I get it. And yes, modeling is an option for me. It's not who I am. Wow. Things have really Without changing anything. You just have all the confidence in the world. I think a lot of people completely miss the thing that really makes them awesome. And you're not like that. I feel pretty. You might want a sneak peek of what's to come. I don't know if you know what sneak peek means. You're completely naked. Yeah, it's uh, it's this will be interesting. Um, that's another one that um, that uh, College Humor mocked uh, uh, in their honest posters. This one was they called Shallow Helen, which. Yeah, pretty much. It's basically shallow. It's the same premise as Shallow Hal. Only the one who sees themselves as beautiful is the woman. Um, but it seems to be more. This this, this is honestly kind of what it sounded like they wanted to do with the official Barbie movie from the, from Mattel. So I'm glad it became its own movie. I think that's a way better option than trying to make this this premise into a Barbie movie. Um, but yeah. Uh, uh, we'll see if it's any good. Um, I I didn't like uh, Snatched. Uh, Amy Schumer's follow-up to Trainwreck. I wasn't even that big into Trainwreck. Trainwreck was just kind of okay for me. Like, um, like I feel um, it's not one of Judd Apatow's best. And I think I think it was that was the start of the turn into me realizing I just don't really like Amy Schumer all that much. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see if that changes. This changes anything. Uh, next up, the actual 420 Blaze It movie of the weekend, Super Troopers Two. Finally, you don't realize what I had to do to find a green band. All of the trailers for this everywhere were all red bands. Uh, it was all red bands. Let's do it. They've been waiting for a second chance. Waiting for their country to need them again. That time is meow. Farber, can I get a radio check? <laughs> I love it. It's like we never left. It turns out the French-Canadian town, St. George du Laurent, is actually on American soil. You'll be phasing out a Canadian Mountie unit. Best behavior, boys. You guys ride horses, or? Yeah, this is in 1957. We drive Crown Victorias. By the way, one of the Mounties is Tyler Labine. a big Canadian welcome to the Vermont Highway. Also, hi, Rob Lowe. Come on, guys. They've come up here to tell us how great it's going to be for all of us to become Americans. Repeat after me. I pledge allegiance This is happening. Do neither of you speak English? I do. We would like to 
eat your papers. Can you show me your party papers? This time everything will be by the book. Everything. Shape up. What are you guys doing? Great Tim Hortons ghost. What can I get for you guys? Great Tim Hortons or shut up. What did you say? Do you want a liter of cola? Canada's pretty awesome. Boop, boop. Don't do that. Should I shoot him? Who? Papa? We'll see about this. I know this was, uh, I think they tried to do a Kickstarter for this. Uh, I don't, I have to revisit the original Super Troopers. I think that was, that may, this may have been... Better off as a as a one off movie, you know. Sometimes you don't. It's like when they tried to do a sequel to Boondock Saints. Ultimately, you, you just you just don't catch the magic again. Sometimes, so I'll have to revisit that first Super Troopers, and we'll check out this sequel and see if it's any good. Uh, I got some chuckles out of this. Uh, I think it's because I've seen this trailer enough times that, that I, I'm not audibly laughing anymore because I've seen these jokes before. But uh, we'll see. We'll see. We'll, we'll see how it turns out. Next up, from the director of Meet the Blacks, it's a, a thriller about sex trafficking. Well, this took a dark turn in his career. Uh, anyway, here's Traffic with a K. Code Black Phil. Nothing but a positive force in my life. She's one. Happy birthday, V. It's your dream car. I also, I did not recognize Paula Patton in this. That's her as the lead female. Oh my gosh. It's miles away from everything. It's a celebration. I did not know you guys were coming. I'm trying to create a moment. I want to give her something she can remember for the rest of her life. Omar Epps, too. One they're not showing in this is, um, <laughs> Missy Pyle is in here as a detective. Built it myself. Where'd you learn that? The prison auto shop? Sweet ride. Smoking peas in the store. You a ball player? Not looking for any trouble. Trouble? Can't hold a polite conversation. <laughs> oh my God. Get your... Give me a minute. Sorry. What are you doing in here? Okay. Let's go. Okay. Now. Okay. Got a big problem. Can't find the phone. People I work for do not accept mistakes. It's crazy. Yeah, I'm not sure about this. Far from the city. Hey, baby, your phone is ringing. That's not my phone. Anything can happen. Hey, that girl. Something in my gut was telling me that she needed help. I think I put my phone in your bag by accident. Let me help you. Just give me the phone. Just give me the phone, okay? We will kill you. Hold on! Wait. You got something that belongs to me. It's gonna kill us. I need help right now, please. I don't know where I'm at. Where are you, little lady? No! I'm gonna keep you just for me. Just for me. Refuse to be 
Apparently this was supposed to... Oh, that's why they switched. This was going to come out against the Avengers. Oh, good choice. Good choice, Lionsgate. Yeah, get your money in while you can. Because the Avengers is going to dominate the box office for the next month. Probably until Star Wars comes out. Maybe even after. So my thing is, I can't tell if I should take this seriously. Like, if it's trying to be a genuinely taught thriller... Or if it's just going to be exploitation, like, garbage. Like, is this going to be a sexploitation-style thing in the same vein as, like, Last House on the Left or something? I can't tell. So, uh, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, I think the, th- the fact that this guy used to direct comedies isn't exactly selling it as a, as a serious move. But Jordan Peele also was a comedian for the longest time. So, hey, sometimes comics and comedic people can make the best... Uh, Serious actors and serious filmmakers. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, but uh, the last one next this weekend, 420. This is you know the the the. I mean, talk about your trees. We're talking na- Disney nature. That was a bad transition. Point is, Disney nature's uh, Earth Day uh, movies movie this year is dolphins. So they started with Earth, did oceans. Did China, did bears, I think, did lions. Now we're talking dolphins. So here's the Disney Nature documentary this year. It's Dolphins. The Rapists of the Sea. Doubt Disney will cover that much. Discover an underwater wonderland. If you have ever smiled. In 2018, Disney Nature invites you to follow Echo as he learns how to survive. Oh my god, they called it Echo! In this extraordinary world. He's literally Echo the Dolphin. When do the aliens come in? Disney Nature's Dolphins. Earth Day 2018. Celebrate Earth Day by smoking some herb. <laughs> so yeah, um... I... Not the biggest fan. I feel like BBC does a way better job with their nature documentaries than Disney does. But we'll see. Uh, I think it benefits from having a good narrator. Let's see who the narrator is for Dolphins. Disney Nature. Because last time it was for Born in China, it was John Krasinski, who is not the best narrator. Let me see. This time around, it's Owen. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. It's Owen Wilson. There was a, there was a sequel to March of the Penguins? The hell? Apparently that never came out. John C. Riley for Bears. Tina Fey for Monkey Kingdom. Tim Allen for Chimpanzee. See, this one works. Samuel Jackson for African Cats. Meryl Streep for Wings of Life. Pierce Brosnan for Oceans. And James Earl Jones for Earth. They started out great. Now they're like, hey, let's get John Chris... Antoine Fuqua for Ghosts of the Mountains. Maggie Q for Expedition China. That's cool. That's a nice one. David Diggs for Growing Up Wild. 
who was one of their uh, young kids on Disney Channel. Like, yeah, as soon, like as soon as they went to Tim Allen, it's like, nah, let's just do let's do comedians from now on. Let's not get serious voice actors. So, wow, Owen Wilson's going to tell us about dolphins. Isn't that exciting? Oh, wow. I've, this is I've I've never thought of doing. I've heard other people's impressions of Owen Wilson, and now that and now this is how I, this is how I do. This is how I do my Owen Wilson. Oh wow! As soon as I do that, oh wow! I'm immediately in my Owen Wilson. So yeah, you can hear me talk about dolphins. Since uh, Wes Anderson didn't want me in his dog movie, you can hear me talk about dolphins. Isn't that wonderful? Oh wow! Uh, I, I shouldn't pick on Owen Wilson. I, he's fine. I think it's just the voice, but uh, it, it, we'll, we'll we'll see how that turns out. Um, I forgot Earth Day was this Friday. I guess Earth Day is the twenty second. When's Earth Day? Earth Day is the twenty second, and so that's the closest they can get to releasing it on Earth Day. So, yeah, that that's that. So yeah, we'll check that out. I'll support that. Uh, but yeah, that about does it for this week, which means it is time for the plugs. If you're listening to this podcast, you are most likely listening to us on our homepage at GumbyCatNetworks.com. And while you're there, I advise you to check out all of our other fine programming. We're in a bit of a flux currently. I know I need to get back on to uh, getting uh, Treasure Missile up and running again. But check out all of Donna's podcasts. Check out all check out um, our our founders' podcast about her. Uh, shop in, in Las Vegas. Check out all of our programming and see if there's something there you like. And if you have your own podcast that you would like to become part of the network, be, let us know at gumbycatnetworks at gmail.com and we'll see about adding you to our fine list of programming. And uh, and, and uh, if, you're, if you're not coming to uh, the website, you can find us through your various uh, podcatcher apps. Uh, we're on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify now. And we, um, and we're all, and, uh, and we, and so we're also available through your various podcasting apps like Overcast, uh, uh, Downcast, whatever it is that you use to listen to podcasts, we should be there. And if not, uh, be sure to let us know and we'll see about adding our podcasts to your, to whatever app it works best for you. Uh, and be sure to leave a five-star rating and review to let people know that you like this show and that they should check it out as well. Uh, you can also share us on your various social media platforms. Uh, the Facebook home for Popcorn Junkie is facebook.com slash popcornjunkie. That's where all the big announcements are going to be, new episodes, when I'm seeing a new release, all of that. You can also join me on Twitter. Uh, I just did a munch along for Fantastic Mr. Fox. You can see my thoughts as I was watching that one, as I, as I was watching it, and, um... You can also jo- that's where that's where you'll get the Facebook feed plus some more interaction with me. That's where I do my trailer talk segment before uh, the new releases come out, and uh, that's where I'm the most active. So follow me on Twitter at Corn Junkie Pod. Follow me on Instagram at Popcorn Junkie Podcast. That's where a lot of the Facebook posts will come from, as well. Uh, I'm still trying to figure out what to do with the po- Instagram, but if you have any suggestions, let me know at, at Popcorn Junkie Podcast at gmail.com. You can also join me on Stardust. Uh, I'm on the Stardust app at Popcorn Junkie, and there you'll get to see my reactions live uh, before the podcast. So if you want to hear my initial thoughts in a in a 30 second time frame, follow me at Popcorn Junkie on the Stardust app. And um, if you go to start, I think it's Stardust app. Doc, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try and sign up for uh, 
to see if I can uh, get people to invite to invite people with with the code or something. I know Double Toasted does that, but yeah, join me on Stardust and follow all their fine people. The Double Toasted crew is on there. Uh, the Schmoes know are on there. Jeremy Johns will post from time to time. Epic Voice Guy, the other John Bailey on the internet, is on there. Uh, he does great impressions uh, and will do like a face swapping uh, at, uh, video for those. Check him out at Epic Voice Guy. Just come on, join us on Stardust. Have some fun. We have, we're, we're having a good time over there. And uh, I missed this last week because uh, I got I, my procrastination got the better of me. So I'm going to try and get in this week. I won't be able to uh, the weekend of Avengers because I'll be out of town. But you can join me. But join me over on Twitch.tv slash Popcorn Junkie PWH, short for plays for plays with himself. Uh, we should be continuing Broforce next time, as well as the Pokemon trading card game for Game Boy and the Pokemon Platinum Wedlock. Uh, I'm going to try and be able to do that this weekend. Uh, hopefully, I, I do want to get one more in before I go out of town. So join me over there when you can. And if there's anything else you want to say to me, any kind of suggestions you have for the podcast, any kind of feedback you want to give, corrections I should make, send all of that to popcornjunkiepodcast at gmail.com. And hey, if you have your own thoughts on the movies that I reviewed and you want to give them, let, just let me know. Uh, I would love to include a comment section of sorts for the, for the, audio, for the uh, podcast. Just let me know. Send all of that to popcornjunkiepodcast at gmail.com. That about does it for this week. Until next time, I'm John Bailey. And I just, I just need to get my life together, man. The theme song for Popcorn Junkie is Funky Popcorn by The M. Look up Funky Popcorn by the letter M on SoundCloud for more of their music. Artwork provided by Nathio, N-A-F-Y-O. Look up nathio.deviantart.com for more of his artwork. And, as I said before, check out Ross Bugden Music for his uh, instrumental royalty-free music. Way of kind of working with. Uh, what is this? Oh, for goodness sake. Um, sorry. Uh, bills to pay and whatnot. Hold on. Because uh, the way uh, uh, profits are measured. Something on my foot. Shut up, phone. And uh, the 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 uh, you can also that's that's I'm tired.